This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Are you looking for a view of the world that's a bit different? Hi, I'm Jason Palmer, a host of The Weekend Intelligence, a podcast from The Economist. Join us to hear the stories that matter most to our correspondents and editors. Every Saturday, we introduce you to people and ideas that take you outside the ordinary and expand your horizons one episode at a time. Join us and see the world from a new perspective. To listen free until May 31st, search Spotify for The Weekend Intelligence. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Try Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost, built for WordPress creators by WordPress experts. With 100% uptime, incredible load times, and 24-7 WordPress priority support, your sites will be lightning fast with global reach. And with Bluehost Cloud, your sites can handle surges in traffic no matter how big. Plus, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. Get started now at Bluehost.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. The material itself is blamed for this. Um, the blame really needs to go to all those people in the system hitherto before this. And I include that, all the people in the supermarkets who knew that stuff wasn't getting recycled. But they just didn't bother flagging it up and saying, do you know what, as an industry, we need to be more responsible. They just didn't do it. You're listening to the Science Focus podcast from the BBC Focus magazine team. We're the UK's best-selling science and technology monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us in your app store. Hello and welcome to the Science Focus podcast. I'm Dan Bennett, the editor of BBC Focus magazine. It's estimated that there are currently more than 6 billion tonnes of plastic waste buried in landfill sites or floating on the surface of the ocean. In this episode, Jason Goodyear, commissioning editor of BBC Focus magazine, speaks to materials scientist Mark Mirdovnik about the growing problem of plastic waste, what we should be doing about it and why plastic isn't always bad for the planet. So we've all heard the horror stories in the news related to plastic waste. Whales with bellies full of uh, plastic shopping bags. Turtles strangled by drinks, can holders. Uh, Great islands of plastic in the Pacific Ocean. And by recent counts, there's more than 8 billion tonnes of plastic waste worldwide, apparently. So it seems recently plastics emerged as the environment's public enemy number one in a lot of ways. But... um, there's a lot of good things that plastic has done for us, right? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing is that on the one hand, you look at the plastic pollution and you see it as an environmental crisis, which it is. 
Um, and then you look around for answers, and the answers, I think, are not about stopping using plastic, because plastic is so integral to everything that we do, and it's integral for a reason, which is that it's an amazing material. And we, our history with plastic goes back to the beginning of another environmental crisis, which it was invented to solve, which is that uh, elephants were being massacred for their ivory, and plastics came along as a synthetic ivory. And that, you know, that, that had a huge impact. But um, then once people realized that it could do that, they thought, well, what else can it do? And, and, and so, you know, molding plastic and creating Bakelite and then, you know, the television and radio revolutions are all based around plastic. Um, celluloid itself, one of the early plastics, invented cinema. I mean, that's a new, you know, without, without a plastic, we don't have cinema. We don't have pretty much a lot of the visual and audio culture we have today are due to plastic. Um, and of course, you know, comfy shoes and trainers and all these things seem like maybe superfluous, but actually, you know, you know plastic is just used everywhere. Um, so the problem isn't, I think, plastic. The problem is the fact that we started to use plastic in wrapping uh, things, which is also very good at. <laughs> and then we never really thought about what to do with those wrappings. And because those wrappings and, you know, containers um, don't get disposed of in the right way, they end up in the sea. So you're a material scientist by trade, which pretty much makes you the perfect person to explain to us exactly what, what is plastic. When we talk about plastic, what are we talking about on, on a chemical level? So plastics are long-chain carbon molecules. So imagine carbon atoms all attached to each other in a chain, a bit like spaghetti. And imagine a bowl of spaghetti. That's what that's what most plastic looks like under the microscope. And you can change the length of the spaghetti and that changes the properties. Or you can change how the individual spaghetti strands attach to each other. And that also changes the properties. And by changing those two things, you can get this massive wealth of plastic behavior that we see around us. Everything from rubbers, you know, the tires on your car, on your bicycle, on the planes, which are absolutely essential to all transport. That is a type of plastic, and then it's called an elastomer, and you go all the way through to the very rigid plastics that are, that are now used to make an aircraft. So your aircraft is made from a plastic, it's called an epoxy resin, and everything in between, your pillows, the mattresses, the sofa cushions, your trainers, and the wrapping on your tomatoes and you buy them from the supermarket. These are all long-chain carbon molecules. Yeah, so like you say, plastics everywhere these days. Like I only need to look around our recording studio here and I can see instantly 10 different types of plastic. But um, obviously this hasn't always been the case and um, it's a relatively new invention, isn't it, plastic? We're talking about 100 years, something, something like that? Yeah, 100, I mean, 100 years since it was really on an industrial scale being made, Um about 150 where, you know, it was the early days of plastic, about 150 years ago, where people were just working out the chemistry of it and working out what you could do with it. Um, but, yeah, it's a relatively new material. It's come into our lives. I think, in a way, that's part of the problem. If you – this has a whole new category of material. Before that, metals, woods, ceramics, we'd lived with for, you know, 10,000 years. So we have, we have a very deep relationship with those – materials and how to use them and what happens at the end of their lives and metals pretty much all metals 
um, get recycled. And we have very good systems for that. Pretty much all wood uh, either gets used for a long time or then gets burnt. And anyway, it doesn't end up environmentally causing much problem, except for, of course, uh, cutting down of forests, which is a problem. Um, ceramics, well, when they break, they become, you know, sand, essentially. So people don't worry about it and they're inert. Um, so it's plastics coming along into our lives, ch changing them so much. I mean, as you say, everybody's world, the brightness of it, the comfort of it, the immediacy of it is due to plastic. But we just well, we just didn't think about, well, you know, what's the life cycle? What, what are we going to do at the end of their lives? It, it just didn't come up, which is a terrible thing. Do you think um, the the sort of seed of the problem was the, the culture of um, disposability that's uh, grown up around plastics? It's, you know, throw away plastic cups, plastic forks, plastic plates, using things just once and then, and then throwing them away as if, um, you know, it doesn't matter. But in, in fact, the fact that they don't biodegrade is at the root of this problem. I mean, I think, I think, but I think, yes, I think the turning point for plastic in, in its in its history was the point where it was being used to make things that were only ever going to be used once. So it wasn't like a radio or a TV or a, or a film or your sofa. It was a wrapping um, and or a packaging material. And and I think once we started using it for that, and it's a very good material for that. It's inert. It's lightweight. It can be coloured, people like that. It can be transparent, people like that. It protects the contents. It's not going to smash on the floor of your bathroom if you happen to drop your shampoo in the bath. You know, all these amazing things it does for us. But then what we didn't do is say, well, okay, if we're going to make it disposable, i.e. one use, we need to have a system for putting that material back in the system. And so-called recycling technology has come very late to the, to, to the, to the party. Yeah. So what is it about plastic that makes it unable to biodegrade? It's the bonds between the spaghetti molecules, if you like, can be very strong. And there aren't many enzymes in the natural environment. What makes other things biodegrade is that there's lots of enzymes that have evolved over millions of years to break things down. Because plastics are relatively new, they just haven't evolved for that material to break them down. Um, so it's, it's perfectly possible, of course, we do it in the lab, but it's not what bio the biological organisms out there have evolved to do. There are a few, few, few that have been discovered recently that do do it, and of course, in the future, that might increase. But of course, in a way, I think biodegradability is a distraction because what we don't really want is to biodegrade them. What we want is to, they're very valuable materials. We want to keep reusing them. Having made them in the first place, we, we don't want them in the sea, but we don't really want them to biodegrade. We want to keep reusing, a bit like metals. You know, Once you've got metal out of the Earth's crust, like, metal, like iron, steel, and aluminium, you, you don't want it to go back to being rust again. <laughs> you want it to be continually used. Sure. So um, a key issue then is recycling. So when I put my, my yogurt pot, my plastic bottle into the recycling, what's the process it goes through to, to be reused in another use? So um, maybe your milk bottle, which is made of high-density polyethylene, you put it in the recycling. And that's, a, that's an example of one that really does get recycled to a great deal uh, in our country. Um, it, goes, it gets separated. So the first thing that happens is in the recycling plant, it gets separated into 
high so other other high density polyethylene all gets collected together, all the milk bottles, and that's done automatically by uh, quite a clever machine that will shine uh, an infrared um, light at the material and take the reflection, and the reflection is unique to that material, that plastic. So it knows whether one thing is high density polyethylene or low density polyethylene, like a plastic bag or whether it's PET, which is like a Grinks bottle, it knows the difference and it will separate them out. So machines do that. And then once you've got all the milk bottles in, in one place, they're all cut up, they're washed, cleaned, because it's food grade, it's gonna go back into being a milk bottle again, so you don't want any contamination. Uh, all the bits that are not clean or can't be cleaned are separated out. Um, all the bits that are colored, like the tops, are separated out. And then it's remelted and what that means is that the strands, these spaghetti strands, are given more energy. They can move past each other. They become a liquid state. So they're, 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 they then are then made back into little pellets. Um, and those little pellets are then shipped to the plastic bottle manufacturers who make another milk bottle out of it. And all that takes about three days. Okay, so you touched on that. There's several different types of plastics. So can all plastics be recycled? All plastics can technically be recycled. And in fact, most of the technology is out there to do it. The problem is that if you don't have a large quantity of it, it's just not economically viable to do it. So, so you need either a large amount of infrastructure to cope with the diversity of plastics that are out there. So about 200 plastics at the moment being used in packaging. And that requires a lot of technology to, to separate each one and and to make that economically viable uh, would require a huge investment and it's currently not happening. So only a few plastics are actually recycled in this country because they're the ones that majority are used and they make economic sense. Although it's still marginal, I have to say, which is the big problem. Um, so is, is there a limit to the number of times that a plastic can be recycled? Does it you know, slowly degrade each time? Yeah, every time you recycle it, you can imagine some of the spaghetti... Um, strands get snipped up a bit, um, they get damaged, they get smaller essentially. And of course, because they're getting smaller, that changes their properties. And though that particular plastic won't be as good as it was when it was first made. So you have to take that into account. And after a while, um, you need to sort of, the only way to then take it back into a usable plastic is to snip them up completely into tiny strands are called the so-called monomers of a, of, a, of a plastic. And then you chemically re, reconstitute it. So you do a chemical reaction to put the strands back together again. That costs energy, so that's, that's less efficient. But it is the next step once a plastic has been so-called mechanically you know, melted and sorted. After a while, it will then be chemically recycled. So currently in, in the UK... Um, do you have a ballpark figure for the percentage of plastics that we actually do recycle? It's about 10% Wow. Rea- in reality of the amount of plastic packaging used versus the amount of pack- packaging that gets recycled. Well, that, that's quite surprising, actually. I thought it would be, um, be significantly higher than that. I think one of the problems has been that people have been saying what they call recycling, um, the facts that they, or the statistics they quote, are not recycling. What they are is collection for recycling. So they say, well, we, you know, we collect 50% of the plastics for recycling or 60% and we have targets from the EU to do that. But they, most of those plastics then get exported to other countries. 
when they get exported to other countries for recycling, they aren't always recycled, but they're called recycling because we've sent them off somewhere. We haven't, we then just assume they have been recycled. In reality, they haven't been recycled. So once you really look deeply at the system, you find that people are quoting figures of 50, 60% success rates, but they aren't really true. Right. So it's not really um, a problem with, with technology. It's a problem with the infrastructure. It's a problem with the infrastructure and investment. Largely. It's also a problem of complexity because we have a very inefficient system because we use so many plastics that the more plastics we use, the more infrastructure we need to recycle them. And that that is an expensive way to, to behave. We could reduce the number of plastics in the system and then you would have to do less investment to recycle those ones. Um, and that would make it more efficient to sort. So the reason why some people are living in certain local authorities are told very strenuously that 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 local authority will only take bottles, let's say PET, and not any other type of plastic, is because what you're doing is you're making it cheaper for that local authority to get some money out of the system. They don't want mixed plastics. You're making their lives harder, and therefore it's costing them money. So um, obviously that's something that we we need to improve on. But are there are there any alternatives to recycling or, or, or plastic use, like new technologies, new materials that we can use in place of plastics, or even old ones like like glass? I mean, how does that compare on um, an environmental level, for example? Yes, so that's a good point. So then people, you might again use the the example of milk. So we used to when I grew up, I would get we would get delivered four pints of milk to the door. It's very convenient for my parents and me <laughs> in glass bottles. We moved away from that. And the reason we moved away from that was partly because of, of behavior. People were now buying their shopping in supermarkets and they wanted to buy their milk there too, or at least the supermarkets were offering cheaper prices. And also they were, so they were packaging it in plastic because for them, packaging in plastic is sort of, is, is, is about 10 times less weight. And so, you use less energy to transport it. Also, if you drop a plastic bottle on the floor, it doesn't shatter, whereas a glass one does. You get less losses. Um, So in the system, it was cheaper and more environmentally friendly to put plastic uh, milk in plastic. Um, But only more environmentally friendly, of course, if it gets recycled. (laughs) If it ends up in the sea, you're obviously having an environmental damage. Um, So you could go back to glass, what you then what you then have to say is, well, we have less pollution of the oceans, but you're going to have to pay for the transport of that glass, and it's a heavy material, and that costs you CO2 emissions. And if those CO2 emissions are not, re- you know, sustainable, which they currently are not, uh, because most of the trucks are going to be diesel, then you have that environmental impact. So um, it's it's a, it is a complex. It is a complex calculation to make to swap out the different materials. So another um, big issue that we hear a lot about at the moment is something called microplastics, uh, especially in the oceans and the waterways. Could you tell me a little bit about those, please? So when plastics do end up in the environment, they do get broken down, mostly mechanically at first, by just being kind of bashed and pecked at and, um, you know, blown around. And those... And then the, the, the light from the sun, the so-called high-frequency light, UV light, um, will, in, will, in a sense, split the bonds in between the, the, the spaghetti molecules 
and so you'll get the material breaking down over time into small pieces and once they get to about a millimeter in size they're the microplastics um, and they get smaller than that too and then they end up in the sea because the sea is downhill from everywhere so in the end wind you know streams bring everything into the sea so you end up with a high concentration of microplastics in the sea which then the fish eat and then they're in the fish yeah so i read a study recently um i don't remember the exact figure but there was a a significant proportion of fish the microplastics were found inside the fish so presumably we're eating the microplastics too yeah we undoubtedly are um it's in quite small concentrations and at the moment there's work being done to see what kind of um you, you know the impact potential impact for human health will be or is um and i think the jury is out on that and many people say that it's unlikely to be large because essentially the biggest problem with plastic is mechanical is mechanical damage inside an organism i.e. you know the, the you know stopping its digestive system working killing it or suffocating it uh, not so much its chemical uh, impact i.e its interaction at a biological level with the cells in the body but on the other hand there are there are some things in plastics that have in the past been known to react with the body and, and to mimic hormones for instance and they right so so, so I, I think the thing is the science needs to be done on that I think no one can say hand on their heart what they really know about the human impact yet sure so often um, this kind of um, I don't know a, a movement I guess um, they say, well, I'm, I'm going to go plastic-free, um, which strikes me as a, a very laudable aim, but very difficult to achieve. Um, so recently, we've, uh, the news has come out that uh, even tea bags contain um, traces of plastic. So people have been putting them on the compost heaps or whatever, but the, there's microplastics in those. So do, it, is it realistic to, to live without ever using plastic, do you think? I definitely recommend people use loose leaf tea because it tastes better. <laughs> that's a fact. Um, well, it tastes better. Well, that's that's that obviously that's a that's a subjective comment. Um, but uh, loose leaf tea is cheaper and is delicious and has its anyway. So there are alternatives you can use. Um, I think the tea bag manufacturers. There's no real need for them to use what they've done and what a lot of manufacturers have done is they've used plastics to really make packaging and and, and a tea bag is a package into 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 a stronger uh, item to make sure that you get the best value for your money in terms of your tea in that case or tomatoes in another case or apples and, you know if you if you look at the wrapping on a, on a cucumber that you often see a, a, a polythene wrapping on a cucumber you might think well that's a complete waste of plastic but it, it, it makes that cucumber last two weeks longer than one that's unwrapped now food waste is a huge problem and has its own co2 emissions that are environmentally problematic for us so what you wouldn't want to do is to get rid of plastic packaging and then massively increase food waste because most of the plastic packaging is there for a reason it's there to stop food waste and um, so I think the danger of going plastic free is that you would actually have a much bigger problem environmental problem than we currently have so what we need to do is to not have a kind of um, unthought through reaction to this problem we've got a problem it's a massive problem but 
I think going plastic free is not the answer. Plastic is doing a very good job at stopping food waste. What we need to do is recycle our plastic and that we have the technology for doing that. We just aren't using it. And, and people aren't recycling their plastics because they don't think that they get recycled and they're right. <laughs> so we need to change behavior, but we, but we have to also just um, invest in the infrastructure and local authorities need to do that and they need money to do that. And that's got to come from somewhere. And my suggestion for where that money comes from is the manufacturers and the supermarkets, because at the moment they're basically offloading their profits. They get profits by having lower food waste <laughs> And they're just keeping the profits. And some of those profits need to go to the local authorities to deal with the plastics that are, you know, are ending up on their lap. Sure. So are there any, um, like trying to think, give our listeners a few um, tips to help them use plastics responsibly. I mean, are there any examples of plastic use which is a definite no-no we should, we should avoid? I think there's two things. One is the future is plastics where we recycle them all. And that's that's gonna take at least 10 years. So in the short term, I really do admire and, and try to do the same myself, people who are trying to get rid of unnecessary plastics in our lives, and especially any packaging that's unrecyclable. Um, so if, if it's unrecyclable in the current system, we should all not use it, in my view. So things like milk bottles, well, they're very recyclable and so I don't think any reason to stop using them. In fact, you should use them because the more of them that are used, the bigger the market and therefore the more recycled they will get. <laughs> but things like um, throwaway coffee cups, which are unrecyclable, um, they they should, you know, well, you know, they're not unrecyclable, but they're not widely recycled. Then I think cutting down their use is a good idea and I carry around a cup with me, which is also means that <laughs> I have... Uh, you know, a more delicious uh, drink when I'm on the move because I'm drinking out of glass in my case. Um, and I think things like, you know, not using um, straws and all those sorts of things, plastic straws, these are all good things that everyone can do. Sure. So what would be um, historically, in your opinion, the most successful use of, of plastics that we've had? Oh, well, what do you define as success? I mean... You know, what, what, how, has, how has plastic how, helped us in the, in the biggest way, would you say? Is it like, for example, you were saying the food packaging, it's very, very useful. I think the other, I mean, it's so huge, this category. I mean, you might say, I mean, lightweight, air, you know, the reason why air travel is more environmentally friendly now is because of plastics. Um, the reason why, um, <laughs> you know, f- you know, Footwear is not using huge amounts of leather anymore. It's because of plastics. You know, every material and has an impact on other materials. And leather, as an industry, has a huge environmental impact. Um, so uh, you might say, well, what else should we wear on our feet? And there, you know, there are clogs that you can wear in wood, and, and that's another option. But I think people wouldn't want to row back probably from comfortable footwear, which is brought to them via plastics, or comfortable sofas which is brought to them via plastics. I think what people want is those plastics to be recycled and it's totally possible. It's just that we haven't invested in it. On the packaging front, what packaging has done has made food cheaper. It makes it last longer. And because it makes it last longer, it's cheaper. The infrastructure and the systems all does that for you. So what we don't want to do is get rid of plastic packaging for food. What we want to do is make it all recyclable. 
if we took out plastic from packaging from food, we would almost certainly walk into an environmental disaster. Right. It's almost like um, it's plastic's been a victim of its own success. I actually wouldn't. Yeah, I think it, I mean it, the material itself is blamed for this. And um, what the blame really needs to go to all those people in the system hitherto before this, and I include that all the people in the supermarkets who knew this stuff wasn't getting recycled, but they just didn't bother flagging it up and saying, do you know what? As a as an industry, we need to be more responsible. They just didn't do it. Um, I, you know, all the big brands that create all the shampoos and all the soaps and all that stuff which is great. They all bear some responsibility for this because they all knew this. Uh, local authorities knew this. You know, people just didn't prioritize it as a problem worth solving. And it took, you know, the Blue Planet and many other, you know, many other programs and journalists before that to kind of flag it up and say, do you know what? Enough is enough. We, it's a wonderful material, but it's only wonderful if you recycle it. That was material scientist Mark Mirdovnik talking about how to tackle the growing problem of plastic waste. Thanks for listening to the Science Focus podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then why not subscribe and leave us a review? You can find us on iTunes, Acast, Stitcher and many more of your favourite podcast apps. In our July issue, which is on sale now, we take a look at how brains, not brawn, help the T-Rex conquer the planet why our minds create false memories, the surprising science of sleep, and of course, much, much more. Thank you for listening to the Science Focus podcast from the BBC Focus magazine team. We're the UK's best-selling science and technology monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us in your app store.